Hi there, everybody. Welcome to the Hard Truth Inside the Football Injury Podcast with me, Philip Heighton, and Darren McAnthony, chairman and co-owner of English League One side Peterborough United. So we were off last week. We're back. Yeah, we're, we're back. back. How's Dubai? <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, look, I know um, some of the fans will be like, where was the pod? But look, we put out the business pod and very thankful with you know such good viewership listing figures for that. I think we were only down 23% on the normal pod. We're about to record episode two of the business pod. So obviously you're not going to get that for free. So if people want to join our new system, our online community, go to hardtruthbusiness.com because it's really popping off in there. And I'm enjoying, you know, liaising and interacting with all the members so far. And we'll be doing a Zoom call with them soon. So, but listen, talking Dubai, fantastic, really nice. Again, I use the word normal and um, trying to do things as much as normal. I had someone on Twitter the other day come at me and say, um, it's a fucking disgrace all the holidays you've had during this pandemic. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, God almighty. I can't oh, win, can you? <laughs> oh, do you know what? Another fucking bedwetter. You know what I mean? Hide behind this couch. I was like, fucking, who's probably devastated that COVID's on its way out the door and getting its ass kicked. He's probably like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go back to normal. I'm going to have to leave my house. I'm going to, no more furlough checks. I'm going to be like, shit, I'm going to be back where I started before all this started. And that's bottom of the fucking ladder. Honest to God, people like that just piss me off. But um, yeah, look, you you were out watching baseball with fans around mm -hmm. you. Um, I've seen the circus and uh, is back in the fair in Florida, which is great to see. Someone sent me a big video of that. More and more states are opening up. I was doing all the COVID stats because, believe it or not, I take it seriously. I do the data every week. I think 25% now of over 18s in, in America have had one dose of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So that's one, you know, one in four of Americans. Uh, because forget under 18s, the, as we all know, the real worry is over 18. So one in four of the, you know, the the population you worry about the most. And 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 I think in Florida we're up to nearly 50% of seniors, and I think we're down to four percent infection rates, which is the lowest in 12 months. Hospitalizations the lowest, mortality the lowest. Um, I think there was 60,000 infections compared to 300,000 infections two right. months ago. It's seasonal. It's getting its ass kicked. The UK, why they're not open is an absolute disgrace because fuck me almighty. You, you know, to try and find someone with COVID over there at the moment, it'd be like a needle in a haystack. <laughs> do you know what I mean? If you, if you if you look at the statistics. So I think they're all getting their kids back in school today. They've joined us. I think we're, we've had our kids in masks for seven months. Hopefully now with all the teachers getting done in Florida, that's going to be a thing of the past because I'd be royally pissed off if our teachers continue to want in our children to wear masks when they're all vaccinated. But I think this thing's getting its ass kicked. No matter what way the press wants to play it, no matter what way the bedwetters and the couch huggers want to like keep trying to push it on, this thing with the vaccines now and the fact they can see it's seasonal, um, yeah, I think we're uh, on the cusp of, of regaining and taking back our normality from all these fucking dictators. Yeah, you talk about like the different requirements in different places and states starting to open up. One place sure. that isn't opening up is LA because we were supposed to go to LA this week. And, uh, you know, I was just looking it up last, uh, was it Friday, just to make sure everything was looking all good because we were going to go on Thursday of this week. Well, there's a two-week quarantine if you're going to LA. So, so let, me, let me ask you a serious question. Let, let's do politics because everyone knows you're a Biden guy. You know, I'm, I'm obviously a GOP guy. You're blue, I'm red. You know, you're woke. You know, I'm real. So, so, so let's let, let's let's. I'm for cancel culture, right? You're for cancel culture. I'm for obviously, you know, anti-cancel culture. But let's 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 look at this from this perspective. So, you are from California, where you spent a long time, and obviously, you're a good lady. Gavin Newsom should be recalled. Is about to get recalled, unless I think the Dems are now worrying about voter verification all of a sudden, where it wasn't such a big deal three months ago. Now it's a, a big concern about the two million people who've signed for Newsom to be to be detained and got rid of. Um, would you have signed a recall, Gavin Newsom? Let me test your blue litmus here. Would you have signed to recall him if you'd been locked up for the last twelve months? Yeah. Okay, good. Next question. Next question. Next question. Before you, you know, because I know there's, I know there's a bot always with you, Dems. So the next, the next question would be, you know, we live in Florida, and we've seen in the news that you know, uh, Como's the hero, and Newsom's the golden governor. Obviously, Ron DeSantos is death DeSantos, and the worst governor in America. The coverage he's had has been absolutely horrible, putrid, because obviously he's a, a he's a Trump confidant, he's a a MAGA lover, and you know they'll go with him if he decides to run for president, but. Would you agree, and again, I'm going to ask you simply yes or no, would you agree he's been unfairly vilified compared to those two wankers I've just mentioned? That's a hard one. Oh, fuck me almighty. There's nothing hard about that question. <laughs> because science and data, you're the party of science and data. All I would say is that I don't necessarily trust his data. Uh, don't buy into that fucking blue anon shit that you Dems love. <laughs>
Don't, don't. I, I get you. I read the data from everywhere, including the CDC. Trust me, that's a complete myth about the data. You know, all that data is verified by hospitals, insurance boards, uh, certifications, death uh, certificates. You can't hide that shit. I know Como did his best and we're finding out he's the one who hit all that stuff, but it always comes to the surface. And if the one thing we've learned in the last 12 months is anything, if there was anything on him, it would have been out of by now big time. Yeah. And it would have been front and center in every news media. So look, you don't have to like him, but you have to agree he's in a different class from those two numbnuts I've just mentioned. What I got to say is, you know, I didn't really appreciate how much I take for granted that we can make our, our own decisions. Because I just assumed that going, you know, we made the decisions that we felt safe to go to LA and we felt safe that while we were in LA, we would be able to do things that would keep us safe. The thought didn't even come to my mind that some, that there may be rules that would stop us having that ability of, of free thought. Um, and I think that you, again, you, we don't realize what it's like here because we just assume it's like this everywhere. Take it for granted. And we that did. really surprised me. 100%. And I, and I spoke to you about being in the UK during all of this, and people don't realize what they miss about having the freedom of choice to make decisions for themselves. And, you know, making that decision that you're going to basically, if you want to take that percentage risk, whatever it is, if you want to send your children to school, you have the choice to go yes or no. You know, it's like everyone wanted to go about Texas who said, we're open. There's no mask mandate. You can do what you want. What everyone forgot in there was you're still allowed to wear a mask. You're still allowed not go to crowded places. You're, you're still allowed to stay home. You're still allowed shelter in place. Nobody's saying you can't. What they're doing basically is, is they're going back to the Constitution, you know, where your fundamental rights, you know, as an individual, as a citizen, you can make those decisions for yourself. Simple. People want to find things that fit their own narrative. You know, I think of, you know, we've mentioned on uh, a couple of times how we've spent some time just down the road here at Disney um, and Disney opening. And, you know, when that happened, you would see all the press saying how, well, Disney is going to be a super spreader event and how dare they, Florida, it's going to, and of course, what do they find? Well, nothing because of how well they handle it. But people who don't, people who aren't there and don't see it can take the, um, what the media or the press or what is, fits their narrative and blow it out of proportion. Uh, listen, both sides. And, it, and it's happened for 12 months. And it's just sickening because, again, it's like impinged on our kids going to school. It's impinged on being able to go to work. It's impinged on the right to make a living. It's impinged on, you know, you leaving your house when you want to. So this thing is not going to, I always say to my wife that there will be a movie to be made in years to come on the shit that's happened in 2020 and the decisions made by leaders of the world who are like held up as this like gold standard like that bird in new zealand you know what i mean who like thinks she's like god on stilts because of a small little place on an island that locked itself off you know the guy in australia and and they were all like formed over newson was formed over como was formed over as the gold standard and, and again 12 months later the receipts are there and the story gets told the real story when some proper journalism is done and in years to come it will be the same it will be looked back on and go, what were we doing? What were we doing to young people? You know what I mean? And, and, and I'd say that to people today in England, so your kids going to school. Enjoy it. And don't allow this to happen again. And no disrespect, but your kids have given up enough for the older generation for a year. And I know that sounds horrible, but you know what? They all have their vaccine now. No more sacrifices for anyone. Do you know what I mean? Like each, each to their own, live your life. Because, you know, the... The vulnerable that we were protecting and giving up our businesses, giving up our kids' education, schools, everything else, they're now can get a vaccine. There is no excuse now to not allow people open their business, their kids go back to school, because we're meant to follow this whole, once the vaccine's here, we get back to normal. So let's get on with it. Anyway, enough about COVID. The good news is it's getting beaten. Let's talk football. Let's talk Bradford. Bradford are on fire. Fuck me, the form, form team in the country, aren't they? It's pretty incredible that it keeps on going. You know, I think we're looking a little bit leggy at the moment, but I think, okay. you know, there's, um, we'll see. We'll see how we respond to that because we've got some good strength and depth that we didn't have a few months yeah. ago. Um, yeah. But no, we continued. We, um, who have we had? We beat Walsall away. We beat Mansfield at home since we last spoke. We drew one all with a, a last minute equalizer to Bolton. Bolton yeah. were the best team we've played all season by far. We spoke about them at the start of the season. It would take, 10, 15 games for that, you know, Goliath of a team like a Bradford, you know, that it would take time with all those new signings. And obviously Bolton have found their form and, and you would fancy them now to be definitely there in the picture, right? Oh yeah. I, I mean, I fancy them for automatic. The thing that the gap between the playoffs and automatic isn't that big. So anybody who gets in the playoffs has as, as just as good a chance of getting automatic as those in the automatic spaces, right? Correct. Now. Where are you right now on the table? Where, where's Bradford? Yeah, we're 10th. We are four points off the playoffs, and we've got either one or two in hand. 
Okay, there you go. You're in a good spot. So, um, you know, and still got the momentum. Who have we got coming up? We've got Newport, who are in the playoffs, but kind of faltering a little bit. Mm. And then we got Carlisle, who were top of the table about um, two months ago, and then they didn't play forever. And since they came back, you know, they've just been sinking like a stone. So, um, Yikes. you know, another couple of interesting games. What's interesting about Newport, and before I kind of asked you about the last uh, couple of weeks at Posh, you know, Newport gave up home advantage for two games because of the state of the pitch. And one of those is yeah. going to be against us. We're going to play at Cardiff on Tuesday. I just yeah. wondered what your thoughts were on, I mean, does it have to be pretty bad to give up home advantage? Yeah, I mean, our, you know, our pitch obviously has had its troubles this season. Everyone's, you know, obviously every team that we've played and beaten afterwards has become a big issue. Um, but the one thing about the pitch was it was always playable. It might have been bald. It might have been looking muddy. It might have looked, but there was not big holes all over the place. Yeah. It wasn't like a rugby field. It, you know, the ball was still fluid, you know, once you watered it. You know, there was no big slipping by players. There was no big issue as regards to playing a game of football. It just didn't look pretty, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It probably looked uglier than it played. Yeah. And, you know, and probably since our last game, there's a lot more sun out. And I know that, you know, there's a lot more treatment going on. So it's probably going to look a lot greener. It won't still be the pitch we want it to be. That won't happen again until the summer. So we get it back properly. Um, but I'd never have liked to have given up home advantage. I mean, fair play to Newport. I don't know if they were going to be told, you know, they can't do that or, or whatever. But yeah, I mean, that's got to be tough on them. Um, so where are they, are they playing in neutral places? Is that what they're doing? Yeah. Or they just switch fixtures. No, so they went to the EFL and asked for permission to do it for two games. And so we're playing at Cardiff City's stadium, which, you know, for us, it's still just down the road and hopefully a better playing surface. Um, well, definitely a better playing surface. So um, it's just an interesting one, you know, to keep up the familiarity of home, you know, even if the pitch isn't good. And Cardiff's a big stadium. So it'd be almost like Bradford are playing at home in a big kind of stadium, whereas Newport's a little bit more like a rugby union stadium. It's a bit more, you know, the exiles, it's smaller, it's more condensed. Um yeah, you know, sometimes you can really favor teams like we played Burton, obviously, and their pitch is really narrow. And, you know, you just see how some grounds really favor teams sometimes. You know what I mean? So I don't know if Newport definitely have given up that advantage. So that's interesting. So, look, hopefully the football gods are preying on them and, and they can come through that and they'll do all right. But obviously not against your beloved Bradford. <laughs> exactly. They can wait another few days. I like Michael. <laughs> and you know, give it a couple more, get, a couple more days. They can go up with us. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> um, so you had a bit of a, a dicey result, as you just mentioned, um, on Saturday. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, since we last spoke, what did we do? I think we we beat Wigan at home. We drew against Oxford. We were brilliant against. Uh, we had the best chance against Oxford, by the way. Um, you know, I don't think our goalie could have gone on a cruise for ninety minutes. Um, that's, you know, we played a very good away game against Oxford. We missed three sitters, absolute sitters, including the final kick of the game. Clark Harris had a header three yards out. Their goalie was man of the match. So I, I, you got to read the Twitter uh, tagline from the Oxford Twitter account. It was along mm-hmm. the lines of um, Peterborough didn't win their seventh game in a row. Clark Harris didn't score his seventh goal in a row. And they were very happy to leave with a point. I don't know what was going on there. Do you know what I mean? But I did read it and I had to chuckle to myself. I don't know why we wind up people so much. I'll be honest uh, with you. I've, mute, I've muted the Oxford United Twitter because I looked at it once uh, when they had the fire in the footlights a few weeks ago. Right. And then it's following me every 10 minutes. <laughs> so, right on Twitter. Right. Gotcha. But that uh, yeah. was funny. But And then we went to Burton and we knew what Burton were all about. We knew the way they played. Look, I'm going to say this about the players in the Burton game. Um, we had 29 crosses, three completed out of 29. Um, and we had 18 shots, I think six on target. Their goalie didn't really make a save till the final 15 minutes. We made two stupid fucking errors for their goals. The possession was 70% for us, 30% for them. You could say we shit the bed, but did we? It wasn't like Shrewsbury a few weeks ago where we just didn't mm-hmm. show up. You know, we, we, we control the game, but we allowed them to do what they do really well. Fair play to them. They deserved it because they, they scored those two goals really quickly. You know, we've made a goalkeeping error. Then we've made a, a defensive error with a, with a set piece in the back post. And then Mo Ice has come on for Clark Harris and he's had two wonderful opportunities. And look, I'll say this, you pay a million pounds for a striker. Um, regardless whether he hasn't played or not, it's, you know, players sometimes, you know, they set their own standards. They can moan mm-hmm. about not being in the team. They can moan about not whatever else. But you know what? You're given a golden opportunity of not two. You score then. My manager's really loyal. He'll probably yeah. put you in the team the next game. Yeah. So, you, you know, you set your own standards and that's someone thing I'm digging them out, but I'm setting a challenge to a player that I've paid a million pounds for. You haven't come in for 10 grand and you're not on 200 quid a week. You're brought in to do it at, at key moments. 
Yeah. And I would say that to players, you know, that's why you recruit that kind of talent. So our 19-year-old Harrison Burrow scored his first goal for the club. He's been very good off the bench this season. Like he's got six goals, or six assists, one goal and 14 appearances as a, as a young 19-year-old, mm-hmm. which is the third best assist in, in our squad. And yeah, we could have, even when we went 2-0 down, there was enough time for us to come back and score three goals. Do you know what I mean? But it's one of them days. Look, again, you know, everyone's like, oh, shit result. And we didn't do well against Oxford. And We're not going to win the last 15 games. We're never going to win the last 15 games. We're not Manchester City. You know, these are human beings. They're just not going to win that many games. And I, I, I understand where the fans are like, oh, you know. I'm like, relax. There's a long way to go. You know, yes, Sunderland are on fire. Hull are on fire. A few weeks or a week ago, we were on fire. And the week before that, someone else was on fire, you know. And then Lincoln slipped. And then they've come back. You know, Ipswich started getting on fire. And then Gillian and Put paid to that. So it's a really, really funny League One season. And I've said this all along. Don't be surprised by any results. It's just don't be surprised by it because this is what League One is. And it's going to be survival of the fittest. And it's going to be he who dares wins by the end of it. So if our players want promotion enough, they can go win promotion. If they don't, we won't. It's as simple as that. But I'm not carving any trophies, building any trophy cabinets, talking about winning league titles or talking about winning promotion. I'm talking about we've got 14 games left and we've got to put everything into the 14 games. And if we work as hard as we've done the last seven, even against Burton, we worked really hard. If we put that effort in and that work ethic in and the way we are, we've got a hell of a chance. And if we don't, we won't. And that's just, you know, I'm, I'm after so long in a game, I'm, you know, I'm always the eternal optimist before. And then obviously I became the eternal pessimist. I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. And I know this season is like a, just the weirdest season out of all seasons. And there's so many games that are coming thick and thin. You're playing three games every six days. You've got people who are basically like falling to bits physically. You're coming into the key moments. And now you'll really find out who A has got the bollocks, who B has got the physicality, and who C has the mind. Do you know what I mean? To, to go and achieve what they want to achieve. So we'll find out. I always said early on, you, you know, your Hulls, your Sunderlands, I threw Portsman in there. We're going to be the ones who could win promotion. They're the big clubs. They're expected to. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not writing my own team off. I never have. I know what we have in the building, but there's a long way to go. And we play Hull tomorrow night. We play Portsmouth next Tuesday. You know, who knows? We're very good at home. We've got a lot of home games left. But equally, I think we're playing seven of the top nine at home. So that's a lot of, it's not like we're playing the bottom six, you know, and, and, and even those games, as we found out against Burton, aren't a given and ain't three points in the bag. So that's, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson called it squeaky bum time. That's usually 10 games to go. I guess that's when everyone starts really focusing laser-like on leagues and positions and points and what have you. But even when people told me a week ago we were X-Men, I didn't even know how many points we were clear because I really didn't fucking care because I know the amount of games we're playing, it changes by game three. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and that's the weird thing this year, isn't it? Like the momentum can go both ways very quickly, you know, because you're playing three games a week. Massively. And, and we lost, the, you know, undoubtedly the best central midfielder in League One and Jack Taylor. Yeah. Ben Whiteman was the guy before that. He left for the championship. Jack Taylor is the best central midfielder in League One by a fucking country mile. And he ripped his hamstring. And, you know, he's out for like six weeks. And we lost him, obviously, before the Oxford game. A fair play to Ethan Hamilton. You know, he's come in and he's done really, really well. And you know what? He might be just as good a replacement for Jack. We haven't seen the best of him yet. But now I guess this is what gives these players a chance, the Burrows of the world, and him a chance, Mo Issa a chance. If the first team isn't at it, you know, and you get called up, go in and do it. Go deliver. Go get your place in the team. You know, my, I was talking to my daughter earlier who didn't get into the volleyball team the weekend. She came in and out. She didn't play a lot yesterday. And I said, well, you know, if you lose, go ask the coach. You know, what more have you got to do? And the coach might say, well, when I do put you in, you got to stand out. Okay, great. Same with our squad players and younger players. You're all going to be used. There's a long games, a lot of games to go. So get your finger out. And when you're called upon, go and do something special. Harrison Burrows, a 19-year-old on Saturday, did. He scored his first goal. Two games before, he turned the game around when he came on and we beat Wigan. That's making a difference. So if you're an Isa, if you're a Ricky J. Jones, if you're whoever coming off the bench, you're an Ethan Hamilton in the team, go get the game with a scruff of the neck win us the game and keep your place because that's how football works so yeah um, but again uh long way to go well there's been a bit of a merry-go-round as the typically it, well there's no sign of the the managerial merry-go-round slowing down so the last couple of weeks first of all we've had paul cook we talked about him when you um we talked about managers a couple of weeks ago i'm so giving Mark, out free advice i'm not getting Mark paid for Simmons, this advice yeah, <laughs> these you, people are listening you, you need to become an agent hey, hey, 
do you know what? I'm reading a really good book on agents and movies, CAA. It's fantastic at the moment in the pool. And I should have been an agent. I should have been a Jerry Maguire type agent in either in movies or sports. I'd have made a fucking, I'd have made more money in that than selling houses. Mm-hmm. Um, but no word of a lie, Paul Cook was a really, really good appointment. Really good appointment. I mean, that's whether Ipswich are promoted this season or next year, it's guaranteed to get promoted. So yeah. take that to the bank, put your All bets right. on. If the bookies are listing, the odds will shorten, but Ipswich are going up to the championship. What do you make of Marcus Evans selling up? Yeah, I, I think it's probably the right thing for him to do. I think he's on a hide into nothing. I was almost going to reach out to him for this podcast before yeah. that deal was announced and say, look, Marcus, come on a podcast with me. You know, let's talk. Let's let fans hear you as I've heard you before, because I think fans would like him. And I think he's done himself a disservice from being behind the scenes so much because he's a likable guy. And I think he could have won over the, the Portman Road faithful. I think if he'd like, I've done podcasts with the fans, they're really good set fans. And I think if he'd applied himself better, I don't know who to blame for this, whether it's his CEO or the people of the club, but or maybe him himself. But if he'd put himself there a little bit more, I think he could have had a really successful run. Now, I don't know about his personal business, but I imagine being in the ticket touting business, the sports business and leisure industry, he's been fucking decimated the last 12 months like everyone else. I'd imagine there's part of him thinking, I don't need the hassle of football. I don't need the expense. I need to rebuild my business. I don't know. I could be talking through my arse because I can't speak for someone else. But I would imagine the right offer came along. I would imagine there's a lot more than 20 million on the table now, Marcus. I would imagine there's a lot of caveats in there and, and, and incentives with promotions and promotions. I'd say Marcus has invested probably, I don't know, 60, 70 million uh, in Ipswich. They've said 100 million. I'd say maybe 60, 70. And by the time he's finished and the time they come again, he'll probably get back 60, 70% of it. So, okay, it didn't work for him. But, you know, it's a shame because like I've always said, I don't mind owners in the game who are good owners. What I mean by good owners is owners who always pay their bills, owners who never let a club fall into trouble. And I know fans give him a hard time, but I don't think there's ever been a time Ipswich have made a, missed a payday. And in the current times and what we've seen the last few years with Barry, with Wigan, with Bolton, I think there's a lot to be said for owners who pay their bills on time, regardless whether the club's winning football games. It's funny, you know, what do, what does football fans sometimes value? It's like they don't necessarily think of those things, and it's you got to be visible and you got to be until they happen, transparent until they happen, all, right? Yeah, until they happen. You know, yeah, be careful what happen. you've got. I'll be like, be careful what you wish for. And that's it. And that's it. You know, it's like you know, you you bin your missus, you bring a new model in, and you know, she turns out to be a fucking pain in the arse. Do you know what I mean? And you're thinking, fuck, this is going to get costly now. So be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. The grass isn't always greener, you know, on the other side. So it's the same in football with fans and owners. And it's a really, really fine balance. But I'd say to any owner, try and be transparent. Try and be as credible with fans as you can be uh, and give them time. Don't hide behind the big corporate tower. Don't hide behind uh, agents. Don't be hide behind technical directors and whatever. Fucking meet the fans yourself. And don't promise them the world. Just, you know, be very chilled about, you know, says me, you like promises right. Premier League football to Peter, you know, but, but yes. Yeah, so haven't been in it now this long. I would just say that's how I would do it. But anyway, mm-hmm. look, they're going to be fine. I don't know much about the new owners. I don't know much about Wigan's new owners, but like I said, I just hope that they're in the vein of the bills will get paid on time. What, what about Darren Moore going to Sheffield Wednesday? That seemed like a bit of, a bit out of the blue. Hey, the Sheffield Wednesday guy must have been listening to the podcast, no? Right. Like I said to you, it's like this this podcast is turning out to Who's be like next? Talent We're going to go back on, hey, go back hey, on that it's, list. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Talent Corner, right? Two people we've talked about in the podcast in the last four episodes, right? Uh, Cookie and then obviously Darren Moore. And they've both got like good jobs. And Darren Moore, I think, you know, we were talking about minorities in football and, and not getting chances and not getting managers' jobs and whatever. And I'd spoken about it when we were criticizing Thierry Henry for not being a very good manager. And I said someone had called me out on Twitter because I'd said it was the color of his skin, which is the biggest load of bollocks, because the previous week I talked about Darren Moore, who I think is a fucking terrific ma- a coach and manager because what he's done at Doncaster has just been brilliant in an 18 month short space of time. They've been top six competitive in League One selling John Marquise, selling Ben Whiteman, bringing in Premier League loans. I mean, you know, he's done a great job. And people have said, well, is he mad going to Sheffield Wednesday? Well, with all due respect, if you've got a project and you're comparing Sheffield Wednesday to Peterborough or Sheffield Wednesday to Doncaster, Sheffield Wednesday is a massive fucking club. I mean, let's not kid ourselves here. It's it's a big club. I don't know about the owner. I think he's got plenty. He's, he's bundled up. He's got plenty of dough. He might have been badly advised on some of the deals he's done and the things he's done recently and Tony Pulis, what the fuck. But 
I think he's on the right track there. And I think if Darren Moore is given time, showing what he's done at Donny, I think, yeah, terrific. And and look, gutted for Donny. But Donny at that club, that they sell their best player, they go and win five in a row. They lose mm-hmm. their manager, they're on a shit run, they win two in a row. So it, it's it's strange. There's something, you know, at, at that place that works. And, and fair play to them. Well, jumping over to Scotland, so Neil Lennon left, and that was probably a couple of weeks ago, but I don't think we've spoken since then. And of course, um, it probably begrudges you to see Rangers winning the uh, the championship, but they won the title over the weekend. Yeah, look, Lenny's he's had a horrible year at Celtic. Um, so, look, Celtic need a bit of a redo, a do-over, and um, probably what's coming for Liverpool as well. Um, it's all gone wrong this year, on off the pitch. They're losing their CEO as well. Um, fair play to Rangers. Congratulations to Stephen Gerrard, Stevie G. You know, I said that at the time when he got that job and Lampard was getting Chelsea. You know, I felt like they deserved the, the, the size of those jobs. But the one thing I think Gerrard's done better than Lampard, and I've always said this from day one, he had better coaches and staff around him. Mm-hmm. You know, you got Michael Beale, you got Gary McAllister, you got some really, really good people around Gerrard. He's had some really, really good backing from the ownership there at Rangers. And they are a force to be reckoned with. Don't be surprised if they win in the Cup in Europe as well. So, you know, yeah, fair play to him. He's writing his own ticket. And if he stays next year, he'll probably win the league again because it'll take Celtic two years probably to rebuild. And I would imagine, yeah, it'll be a period of dominance for Rangers that will lead to Stevie G getting the top, top Premier League job. Mm-hmm. Um, so congratulations to him. Well-deserved because you know what we don't appreciate? His family probably still live in Liverpool. And the amount of travel he does to go to Scotland, the sacrifice... Yeah. So to back it up with trophies, yeah, full fucking credit. Now you, uh, um, Peterborough United, at least, announced a loss for the year ending June 2020 last week. I think it was like three and a half million. Um, and that takes us up to the summer. And I think it was before you had things like Ivan Tony transfer built in. But was that, I mean, where where do you stand on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I even with the Ivan Tony sale, I would imagine next year is it'll be even worse because, you know, it's it's... It's all the money that's that's you don't see that's built in that we've lost. Um, we've lost millions. You know, people talk about the million quid bailout. I mean, alone, I said to you that you know the season we're having this season, which is a real promotion type season where you're up there and you're you're doing really well. We would have made outside of what we would have budgeted, we probably would have made an excess of one point five million. So you know, we spoke about games we're playing Hull. A game like that would have been on a Saturday maybe, and you're probably going to get eleven, twelve thousand. It would have been a hundred grand over budget for the game. So we've lost millions. I mean, last year, yeah, that was the risk we took. We kept diving at the time and we went for it and COVID bit us in the arse. So that was one, three and a half mil. The losses next year probably be worse, even with the Ivan Tony sale, because we went out and we, we acquired Johnson Clark Harris. We acquired Schmodix. You know, we, we acquired a lot of assets, you know. But what we'll do is, is that we'll clean that up because it needs to be cleaned up. We've gone for it. And that's credit to my partners as well that we've gone for it. And if that doesn't pay off, that'll need to be cleaned up and we'll need to reel ourselves in. And we've set ourselves up as a, to do that in the meantime by winning the under-18s league two years in a row. So now that is going to come to the forefront and a lot more of those players are going to be involved. And that will mean I don't have to go out and acquire three, four players in that seven, eight, nine hundred grand, million pound bracket. Do you know what I mean? So we want to have a competitive squad, but we're not going to have the wage bill or we're not going to have the... The, the output that we've had the last two years to put it together, it's going to have to be reined in. And that's quite normal. So, um, you, you know, hopefully if we're in the championship, look, there's still going to be a, a, a thing of, yes, we've got more money in the champ. But you know what? Those losses have to be made up because we don't want to be the club that just like heaps money in every year losing millions. It's just not fiscally prudent in a pandemic. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. It's not what we're about. You know, we like to sell a player every year, cover the losses, cover the new budget. And I think in the next couple of years to come, with some of the talent we have, with some of the sell-ons we have coming, with the bits and pieces, I think a lot of those, you know, losses will be repaid. We'll be on it. We'll be on a really solid footing and, and profitable, and in a good place. Plus, we're going to have the appetite of fans coming back. You know, I would expect a big bump in season ticket sales, a big bump in match day tickets next year, regardless of the league we're in, because it's that appetite of people miss football for like twenty months. So. You know, I'm hoping there are good days ahead on the financials, but I don't like financials like that when I see them. Yeah, I, I guess. So just having those assets, you know, you have those assets, whether it's in the under 18s, whether it's the youngsters coming through, does that give you the confidence that you can go and make those additional investments? A hundred percent. I mean, uh, if I have to go and raise 10 million in the summer in sales to offset what was put in this year and to cover next year's budget and give us a competitive squad, I'll do that in a day. Mm-hmm. So that that's, and, and I can't be as, 
flipping about that without having put the plans in place that I did with the recruitment and with Jason and Randy with the youth academy and what's coming through. So, you know, we can raise funds in the summer. Um, we'll have a vibe and Tony get sold. We'll have that too. If Brentford get promoted, we'll have that too. If they stay in the Premier League, we'll have that too. If he scores 20 goals in the Premier League, we'll have that too. So all of that can come in. We're not in any crisis. I've got really, really good, you know, liquid partners, do you know what I mean, who, who know, you know, what needs to be done. And if that needs to be paid back, it gets paid back and more, you know. So unlike other clubs who probably hit a wall and don't have income, and then they look at the squad and go, oh, fuck me, who can we sell? Oh, we can raise 100 grand from him. Peterborough don't talk like that. We'll go, well, we'll raise 4 million from him. We'll raise three from him. And, and that's the kind of business we do. And that's the kind of business I would expect us to do. If it goes the other way and we're in the championship, now we're talking, if we have to wait till January and sell then, now we're talking bigger numbers. Because one of our young talents suddenly does something special in five months, by January, you're talking 14s, 15s, 16s. Now you're talking, turn everything around money. Isn't it interesting how, you know, valuations, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, you're in League Two and evaluation for a top, top player. Let's say it's a million to two million. If you're in year, if you're in it's, League Two. It's a million. It's yeah. a million. Then you are, you're, if you're in League One, then, you know, at the very top, you showed what you could get from Ivan Tony being such a special talent. But, you know, most clubs aren't going to get that kind of money. But then you go up into the championships, championship and look at an Ollie Watkins and it's now 30, you know. Three of the last four biggest transfers in League One, I think I did those deals, you know, sales wise. So it can be done. And one of them, the biggest, was in a pandemic. So again, booking the trend that it can be done. But you're right, the disparity because the snobbery factor. You know, the Premier League aren't going to go and drop 10 million on a League One player because of the, it's a League One player. You know, like I said to you last week, West Ham spoke to Baz and said what a regret they had about the Ivan Tony thing. You know, that they, they should have gone in and, you know, done it in the summer and, and their manager liked him, but they didn't because he's League One. Well, if they're going to have to go and buy him now, they're probably going to, have to pay 35 million, but they're having a brilliant season, so it didn't make a difference anyway. But, you know, again, if the snobbery reduces, then we can see better fees in League One. But I think it's going to take a little bit longer to get there. Um, and if anything the pandemic can bring that's positive, it might be that without all the foreign deals is, is a bit more domestic business done. Yeah, there needs to be a few more Ivan Tonys who leave League One and do well for people to have the confidence. Exactly. And, and what you need to see is, is that Ollie Watkins can do really well in the Prem. You know, the defenders at uh, Aston Villa, a lot of them came from League One, you know, and whatever else. And again, they're doing well. And, and when you see that happening, they're getting England call-ups and, they're, you know, and they started in League One or in League Two. That gives confidence then to the Premier League that there is talent down there that can be harnessed and you can get them in your first team. Uh, no word of a lie, you know. Can you imagine Ollie Watkins and Ivan Tony playing for Liverpool right now? They wouldn't have lost so many games in a row, would they? <laughs> I think you only need a competent, you know, League One uh, centre-half at the moment. Yeah, oh, my God. Well, I, I'm so upset for Ben Davies from Preston, who played every minute of every game. And since he's gone in there, it's been, oh, he's got a niggle. He's not, I don't believe him. You know what I mean? I, I, either Klopp doesn't rate him or not. If he can't get in ahead of what, what's, what was playing in the Liverpool backline last night, he should head back to Preston because he is so far superior to them two young boys that are in that Liverpool backline yesterday. I mean, one of them wouldn't get in a League One team, I'm being honest with you. And I've seen a lot of footballers. But Jurgen Klopp, I mean, someone said to me the other day, well, you know, is he sackable? I'm like, no, no, he deserves time. But I'll tell you what, it's a disgrace what's going on at the moment. And they need to pull their finger out, the players, because it is, it's terrible. I've watched every game. It's like watching paint dry. And he's the manager. He's responsible for that. He picks the same formation, picks a lot of the same players, bar change and a lot against Fulham. He's responsible. So as much as he didn't get the backing from Fenway, and I've said that from day one, and we can blame all the injuries, you shouldn't be losing six in a row at home, no matter how many injuries you've got. It's, it's an absolute disgrace. So that needs a serious reboot in the summer. And I said this to you before about when I got rid of Fergie years ago. What I should have done was got rid of the players. I think Liverpool are getting to the crossroads. You back your manager, and you're going to have to have a reset. Because a lot of those players, you look at the Liverpool team, your Milners, um, your Oxlade-Chamberlains, uh, your Shaqiris, um, your Firminos, um, who else can I say in there? Uh, Thiago they brought in. I'm not sure they're going to... Have, you want them next year? You want them back next year? Rigi, you want them back next year? Uh, yeah, you know, you're looking at Mane, he's lost form since November. Look, he'll come good against Salah's leading goal scorer in the Premier League. But do you want those five, six players I've just named? Because uh, I'm not sure they belong in the title winning squad anymore. I mean, it's interesting when you look at 
things like what Man United did after Sir Alex left, what yep. uh, Arsenal have been going through, the continually churn through the managers because that's the easy way out doesn't change anything. So make a decision. Make a decision. Say to Jurgen, look, it's horrible. You know, maybe we've hit the wall and we've had three brilliant years. And now that we've hit the wall, I've always said this, when you flog a dead horse for so long, you know, you have to change it up. So maybe it's time in the summer. They're going to probably have to move seven, eight on. And they're probably going to have to bring in five, six young, you know, enthusiastic, talented players who want to do all the seven days a week training, uh, run 14 miles a game and go through the whole Klopp thing and the way he manages and buy into that and whatever. And then, you know, mixed in there with your four or five world-class players they already have and then get going again. So that's what they're going to have to do. Missing the Champions League is going to make it really, really difficult because they're not going to have the money and they're not going to be able to attract some of the best young talent out there. So, yeah, it's it's a tricky period for them, you know, but you back the manager. Tell you, a team that was looking in trouble now is Newcastle. You know, they probably felt like they were, that there was enough of a gap with Fulham that they, you know, could get a, get by and they'd get out of this and they didn't have to worry about it. And all of a sudden, with Fulham's run. I watched them play um, West Brom. Mm-hmm. Yes, they West Brom were much better than them. Yeah, Bruce, he's lost it there and he's obviously had the route uh, during the week. Um, I forget what was the name of the player. Uh, Matt Ritchie, Matt Ritchie. So, yeah, he's had a big bust up in training with him. And um, that's obviously leaked. Uh, now, it's not, not looking good for Brucey. Yeah, that's that's very precarious where they are. You know, you, you look at Fulham last night, a much better team than Newcastle. Um, their manager's getting a lot of credit, but I actually go the other way and think, looking at their team and the pace in their team, they shouldn't be in the bottom three. Mm-hmm. I actually would be critical of him um, and think they should be doing better. Yeah. Um, look at looking at the players they have, and, and they've got some really, really good like pace in their team. I was actually quite jealous as a Liverpool fan watching them attack us yesterday. So yeah, I, I think they are in trouble. Um, they're in big trouble. The only saving life for them might be Brighton can't seem to buy a goal, mm-hmm. and which astounds me because Brighton play some of the best football and create some of the best chances, but again, they can't seem to score goals. Um, so that'd be an interesting running. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. What do I say about Mourinho and Tottenham? Everyone giving them criticism. And I said, give time. Jose will come good. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was their 100th goal yesterday. They scored for a guy who's meant to be a boring manager. You know, the way he's managed Bale, it seems to be the right way that he's managed them. Yeah. Deli Ali, you know, he's given them hard loving. He's given them, you know, what needs to be done. And now they look, you know what, with that pace up front and a fully fit Bale and Kane and everything else the last 10 games, watch out for them winning 7, 8 out of 10 mm-hmm. on the run-in and stealing the top four spot. Don't be shocked by that. So I have a couple of random questions before we go sure. into a couple of listener questions that we got. Um, first of all, kickoff times. So it's something that we've been impacted by, uh, you know, kind of playing midweek games at seven, going down to Exeter, playing at one o'clock, just non-traditional uh, kickoff times. Now, is that something that kind of the clubs decide between themselves or is it a league kind of dictated? I was wondering this because Gillingham seemed to play every Saturday at one o'clock. Right. If you look at all of Gillingham's games, they play before everyone else on a Saturday. So I, I don't know because I, I noticed on Saturday they'd beaten Ipswich by the time we played. But it seems to be every time. So I, I don't know if it's an EFL directive. I don't know if that's been brought in. I mean, look, I'm okay with playing at 7 o'clock. No problem. If I was in the UK, even better because usually I can get home earlier than up to London. You know, whereas if it was usual 7.45, 8 o'clock, I'm home at 1. Mm-hmm. Playing at 7, I can be home at half 11 sometimes, 12 o'clock. So... Um, I don't know, is my answer. I'll have to ask at the next AFL meeting what's going on there. Yeah, it seemed, because I see it in our league as well, all Exeter's games seem to be the same, you know, that they've finished before everyone else. Strange um, one. So the other question is about scouting. And, um, you know, you read online, and I think there's hardly a day goes by when another one of your players isn't mentioned or another, um, you know, mentioned in the press as being different clubs after them. So my question was, you know, do teams typically make you aware when they're scouting players or is the first thing that they hear about it when you basically um, come in with a bid or an official inquiry? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, because Barry's been in the game so long, he speaks to everyone who comes to our games, but he also has conversations in advance and some of those scouts are there because they've rang him. Um, but I'll always know, I get like the scouting list on a Friday and it'll be, you'll see the names on the list. And the usual names or whatever else, they'll be like, okay, Sheffield United, who are they looking at? Oh, I bet you that's Jack Taylor. You know, if they go down to the championship or I'll see Yo Fulham, maybe it's Dembele again, they're keeping track over. You know, last season with Ivan Tony, you know, you could pick 11, 12 clubs, you know, from the championship in the bottom of the Premier League. So 
it's usually a lot of the same. And, and what I always do is I'm married up. If we play an away game, I'll ask the away team to send me their scout lesson in advance and I'll know. I'll know the ones that keep going to the games, do you know what I mean, to watch. And you know the players they're watching. Sometimes we'll have England scouts there as well because they're looking at our young teenagers. If it wasn't for the pandemic, we would have had two or three called up by the England under-18s and under-19s. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, because it's, and the other thing is some of the scouts will go and find me or Barry during the game and come over and go, oh, great game. By the way, such and such is playing well and da-da-da-da-da. You know, that's how it goes. And Barry has a relationship with a lot of the scouts. So it's just, that's how it is. I mean, you, you know yourself as a Bradford fan, if there's 10 top clubs there, you know it's because of one of your teenagers, if they're from the Premier League, they ain't watching a 24-year-old <laughs> midfielder yeah, in League Two. 30-year-old journeyman. No, no. They're watching a 17, an 18, a 19-year-old. That's what they're watching. If it's somebody from the bottom half of the championship, they're probably watching your 26-year-old league and goal scorer. Do you know what I mean? So you, you kind of you can marry it up yourself. Doesn't they rocket science to figure it out? How much of it actually gets out into the press? You know, how much of the interest that a club is showing or that they're showing in variety of players? Because it seems very really random. I, I can't go into the dark arts, Philip, of social media <laughs> and the press. You know? But, uh, well, let's just say agents play a part. Other clubs play a part if they want to unsettle a player. And then clubs who are pushing their own players play a part too if you've yeah. had bids. You have your leaks, you have your, you know, you have your sources, do you know what I mean? Or, or you might want to correct something where somebody puts a valuation out and you're going, oh, that's fucking bullshit. Like some club will purposely go, yeah, Peter, we're looking to sell him for three million. And I'll be looking and going, in your fucking dreams. So I'll correct it. Do you know what I mean? But I'll know that that club trying to put a valuation on a player so that valuation sticks. And I'm not one for that kind of nonsense. You know, I'm not having clubs value my players. I value my players. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we have a couple of questions from listeners. We're going to go into a quick break. Sounds good. And uh, we'll be back in a moment. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the pod. We've got a couple of listener questions um, this week. Our questions from a couple of listeners. I should put it that way because there's a couple of multiple part um, questions coming your way. Um, the first one is from Zach Dalton. Zach says, um, last week in Serie B, Brescia's manager was sent to the stand. So the chairman, who's the ex-Leeds owner, Massimo uh, Cellino, decided he would stand on the on the touchline as his manager couldn't to do, give his own instructions to the players and make his own substitutions. What do you think there of this conduct? Lunacy. Lunacy. No, I mean... What does it say to your coaches? What does it say to everyone else? I mean, it's not just the manager, the staff. There's like, mm -hmm. you know, the idea that I would like override the assistant manager, the first team coach, the goalie coach, the fucking, even the sports scientist. I mean, you know, you're, you're under 18s coaches, you're under 21 coaches, you know. To go, no, I mean, I don't know what the players would be thinking as well. They must be looking at it and going, what on earth is going on? So, no, that's fucking lunacy. So the, the funny, interesting kind of follow-up question is, how do you think you would do as a manager on the touchline? If I'm being really honest with you, because I know what I'm like, I'm a motivator. And it's how I manage and build businesses. And I, I motivate young people in particular. Mm -hmm. And we recruit a lot of young people. And I'm, I'll be really honest without being arrogant. Um, if I went and did my badges, I think I'd do okay. I, you know, I've seen other people. You know, Mark Warburton's gone in from being stockbroken and whatever else. And he's done really, really well. Um, so I think, yeah, I don't think I'd have an issue being a manager. If I'm going to blow my own trumpet, I wouldn't be the worst manager in the world, that's for sure. I'd be too emotional. I'd probably end up getting, like, yellow carded and whatever else by referees, <laughs> that kind of problem. I'd probably, like, beat a few players up and have a few scraps. But, no, I'd, I'd be I'd be all right, I think. I'd be fine. Maybe I'll do my badges one day. <laughs> what kind of owner do you think you'd need to be able to put up with uh, Oh, my God, almighty. Be, uh, well, I, I'm a chameleon. I, I, I can handle people of all different characters. I've always felt, we talk about it in the business part, about you need to be a good chameleon, you know, to be a great salesperson. I think I can handle all types of owners. The one asset I have is I'm a good communicator. So I can communicate and, and handle the politics above and then handle the needs of players below. You know what I mean? So, and I think that's what you need. And so much of management's firefighting nowadays. I've done so many LMA uh, favors where I've spoke to young up and coming managers who are doing their courses and their badges. They want to know what it's like to, they probably hear I'm a lunatic. So let's get Mike Anthony in to talk to some of these young managers. And they love it by the end because, you know, I'm, I'm giving them an insight into how to deal with above and how to deal with middle management and below. It's the owners you can never get FaceTime with are the problematic ones because you never know what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so I got a question talking about, you know, talking yourself up for different job interviews. Um, so this is Tom Clark, who's a posh and Shamrock fan in Kildare. 
And um, Tom says, you know, in a previous podcast, you mentioned that a role with the FAI may interest you at some point. So his question is, what do you think you could bring to a role in an international setting, you know, with the experience you've had from a football club being at a domestic? Everything. Um, and again, I've blown my own trumpet. I've been in football 15 years. I, I know recruitment. I know coaching. I know everything from academy to the top. Um, and people can say, well, you've done it in League One and the championship, and that doesn't make it international level. No, but when you know football inside out and you know all the elements, and you know all the ingredients, and you know how to deal with all the different characters, you know, what could I bring? If the FAA approached me and they had an issue and they needed someone to come in and rip up everything and start mm-hmm. everything again and, and reset a plan, for the youth levels, to women's football, to men's football, to youth football, to top international football, to raising money because they haven't got enough money in the bank to corporate sponsorship. Because I've been a CEO, I've been a chairman, I've been basically a football director. You know, uh, you're pretty much getting all of that. So I don't know, if I was a little bit older and it was something like, it it was an attractive thing to me because I'm Irish and I'd love to Mm -hmm. give back. And of course, I have value, so you're going to have to pay me. But someone like me going in there and turning that upside down, could probably set them on a course for a long period of success because that's what it needs sometimes it needs outside eyes it needs no politics it needs no bullshit it needs no yes i wear a suit and tie but i'm not really a suit yeah so you know i can relate to fans i can relate to players i can relate to coaches and then i've got the business brain as well so there's all of that there and if they wanted to write me a big check to go in and design a new blueprint for them and to put it together for a couple of years of course i'd do it Mm -hmm. you know i've been offered jobs inside of football even when i've owned a club and i've turned them down you know by by bigger clubs you know to come in and 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 do the things i've done when it comes to what i've done with posh so yeah you know would there be a time i'd look at that quite possibly do you know what i mean at the end of the day if you can stay in the industry get paid for staying in the industry but make an actual difference and be an asset well you know absolutely i'm your guy you know now, it's probably a stupid question, but the, the data model and the scouting model that you have for um, for talent spotting from a, a club perspective, would that, I mean, that, that would easily part over to an international um, environment? Easily, easily, very easily. And also knowing the issues that a lot of international uh, teams have with clubs when it comes to calling up players and, mm-hmm. you know, game management, time management and and right down to training grounds and what players need and what staff need and what clubs then you're taking players from need and all of those things there. Sometimes communication and transparency is your biggest enemy because it's not there in abundance. And that's one of the things I'd make really clear that, you know, you have to have that cohesion between all parties and that will make for a really, really successful international team, whether you're Ireland or whether you're the Faroe Islands or whether you're whatever else, you know what I mean? You have to have a system. You have to have a, a blueprint in place. Lots of places don't. You know, I've been offered gigs in the past. It's been to come in and, and write a blueprint and, and a three-year project and get paid a figure from the start to the finish and do this and whatever. And that's shit I could do in my sleep because I've been doing this in football for a long time. So, But I'm probably too young for that crap yet. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, I've got, I've got people on the FA board, by the way. You know, I've got like dream jobs. Do you know what I mean? They're on there because I've helped get them there. Do you know what I mean? And whatever else. But who knows? Um, down the line. We'll see. But my data and my analytics, of course, it's all valuable information. Does it surprise you how few, you know, you say you've, you've been offered opportunities or, you know, there's been a lot of situations where there hasn't been plans in place. Does it surprise you how to you it seems like that's a fundamental kind of basic sure. that doesn't exist across football? Yeah, the problem is, is that, Phil, a lot of owners come in and it's a dream thing. And it's like I bought Posh as like a kind of a hobby or a play thing. But I was more of just that. But I'm also a serious business guy with a plan. A lot of people go in and buy a toy. And then they get manipulated and have to play with the toy. And they bring in agents. And they bring in people who, if, if all you want to do is suck money out of me, our relationship will start okay and it will sour really quickly. If you want to build a partnership with me, which is fruitful for both of us, whereas I get paid and you're going to do well out of it and whatever else, then it'll be a really beneficial partnership. So it's always to me seems that a lot of owners who come in end up sucking on the poisonous tit and they end up with the wrong people. They get misguided, misadvised. They get their millions spent wrongly. And then they fall out of love with what they wanted to do. The one thing is, I've managed to stay in love with the game for so long. And nothing is, yes, losing sours things and it makes you feel a bit bitter. But there's still the overwhelming love for the game of football. And I love the game. And too many owners come in and they think they love it. And then they get a few knocks and they get a few bad bits of advice. And they get the wrong people involved. And they fall out of love really quickly. Yeah. So... That's where I've been approached a couple of times, you know what I mean? Because obviously there's a genuine love, trust, credibility in the game for what I've done. 
I'm not a football agent. I'm not trying to just basically suck you for everything you've got money-wise in the first like six months. So I'm going, right. look, I, I've got my worth. I'm going to deliver and you're going to pay me when I deliver as well as for upfront advice. But I'm not going to try and suck you every pound note you've got. It's not how you run a football club. Well, lots of interesting insights again this week. Um, we have a couple of just calls to action, as we say, as we start to wrap up the pod. First of all, is if you have any questions, then please go to hardtruthfootball.com slash contact. And that will give you a form just to ask anything that you would like. And uh, obviously, I'll pose the questions to Dara and we'll have a chat about it here on the pod. The second thing is, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the business podcast uh, over the last few weeks. And uh, obviously, it was in the stream, as we mentioned at the top of the show in last week's as an intro. Um, if you are interested in joining the community, you know, it's a lot more than a podcast. We have um, really a membership site there that's growing already that has people talking and helping each other and offering advice to each other. It's brilliant. I've been, I've, even on holiday, I've been talking with like uh, 60 odd members so far have contacted me and I put up like some messages and, you know, if you want to be with me directly a little bit, I'm not going to be able to answer everyone all the time, but I've been ma managing to like interact with a few people. I've seen some people are putting up some stuff about their own businesses and there might be jobs on there for you. You know, there's going to be, we're going to do our first Zoom call in a few weeks mm -hmm. where we Zoom in with all the members and each member, if they have a business idea they want to get seed investment for they can base, they're going to get like a Dragon's Den pitch time during the Zoom call. And I'm going to give my opinion. And there's going to be people on that call who have their own money, because I know a couple of wealthy people join the, the business pod, and they might want to invest. So if you're sitting at home, and you know what, I love doing this, because I got a message on Instagram the other day from someone. And he said to me, he thought about killing himself, he had a really bad gambling addiction. And he hadn't told his wife, and he couldn't get out of bed. And he was at the end of his tether. And we had a really, really good chat on Instagram. And I just kind of told him to snap the fuck out of it. Do you know what I mean? It's like day one now, and, mm -hmm. and gambling's a mugs game. And I'm not, an, I'm not some sort of person who can give like proper advice and addictions, but I can give you my own point of view. Do you know what I mean? Because I've mm -hmm. got an addictive personality. And we spoke about it and spoke about like you're at, you're at kind of ground zero now, and you've got a kid, you've got a wife. There's a lot to be fucking thankful for. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Day one's today. Let's get going. Mm -hmm. And I've had feedback, and he's doing great. And whatever, you know. And sometimes just doing this with those things I can help with. It's not about making money. It's about helping and making a bit of a difference. You know what I mean? So I'm hoping the business pod, you know, hardtruthbusiness.com to sign up. I'm hoping that helps people in the right way. And if you're listening right now and you're looking to get back in employment, if you're looking for investment in your business, if you're looking for advice on life, you're going to love it. Sign up. See what you think for a few months. Definitely worth your time for, what was it, 12 quid a month or whatever. Yep, 12 quid a month at hardtruthbusiness.com. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next Wednesday with another football pod. Loved it. Thanks, guys. Cheers. All the best. Cheers.